blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, each and every day, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we grit our way back through the tape and highlight where things went wrong, some signs of life, and the general takeaways from the All-22 tape. Plus, we examine the advanced metrics and snap counts, the philosophical approach of the modern game, and we'll scan the Soch as we do every single Tuesday. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins couple of quick notes from Coach Flores' Monday afternoon press conference on a couple injury updates. Coach announced that Will would miss the game on Sunday in Tampa Bay and he'll be evaluated further with a week-to-week injury. Of course, he left the game with a hand injury after a low ball. He tried to dig out of the dirt, hit his hand. It sounds like he had a finger injury that went along with that. And Byron Jones is day-to-day per Brian Flores. More on him later on. Let's go ahead and jump right into the All-22 notes here because that's what we do on this Tuesday podcast, kind of unpack everything and get the previous game out of the way and on to the next heading into Wednesday as the team hits the practice field and we'll do the same here and turn the page on tomorrow's podcast. But going back here and just kind of going position by position here in terms of the All-22 notes, starting at the quarterback spot with Jacoby Brissett, the first scramble on a third and one on the opening drive I think this play was indicative of some of the Dolphins' issues in the passing game, not just on Sunday, but over the last couple of weeks, because Matt Collins runs a square in against a cornerback who's playing off. And this was the case throughout most of the game from this Colts defense. They like to play coverage, they like to play off, and they will give you the underneath stuff, as we've heard with this Dolphins team, take advantage of what the defense gives you. And in this game, there wasn't a whole lot of taking advantage of those quote-unquote layups. And on this particular play, there's a ton of separation underneath. And you see Jacoby come over that direction and pump and kind of separate the hands with his eyes on Mac, which indicates we're going to go ahead and throw the football there. But he tucks it because pressure gets in. And the reason pressure gets in is because Mac has pretty much stopped his route because it was already over. He had already made the end cut. He already separated. He already uncovered. And the ball's not there. It's late. And then Jacoby is off and running after not throwing the football and good on him to pick up the first down on this play. But that to me would explain some of the hesitancy to throw some of those shots that Flores talked about because they were there, but he's just a little bit late on them. Late to see it, late to feel it, late to throw it. And Waddle uncovered more than a few times downfield in this game. We have to find a way to get that unlocked because he's out there running free through secondaries. And not only is he not making the plays, He's not even getting targets in those areas, and it's constant throughout the course of the game. Just having opportunities, whether it's on deep crossers or vertical routes or whatever the case may be, he's finding space and finding openings, and the ball's not finding him in those space and openings. And I think once that happens, if it does, the rest of the offense can really begin to start to pick things up. But you have to anticipate in this league, because if you're trying to hit it after you see it open up, it's already too late. You have to throw it before it opens up, you guys know that. That's how this football, this National Football League works. Defenders are fast to both anticipate, react, and physically fast. So they close those windows in the snap of a finger. And I think that's why 
You've seen Jacoby have most of his success this season so far when things kind of break down and crumble around him, when it's a bit chaotic and he has to extend because those are not plays within the structure, which is based almost exclusively on timing, rhythm, and feel, syncing up the timing of the route with the drop of the quarterback and knowing how to alter that setup and drop back when the defense mixes things up or things open up before you anticipate because of the way the coverage rotates. You have to be able to get that expedited process down, kind of like we talked about this summer with Tua Tungavailoa and the quick feet work, footwork he has back there because I think you kind of see that play out on a third and four conversion to Will Fuller on the Dolphins' first drive in this game. Now it's a rip to an open man, which came back his hands to the face on Austin Jackson. But I think these numbers really provide the context to what the film is telling me. And on this particular play with Will Fuller, the film tells me that he got away from a dirty pocket. The play extended. The receivers broke off their routes and just found space. And there's no real timing to those types of plays because you're just going off a field and what you see. And there's no rules or structure on these particular plays. And so it's different for the quarterback. And looking at pro football focus splits here by under pressure versus not under pressure, Jacoby Brissett has 76 pass attempts through these three games that he's played where he's not under pressure. So that's 25 per game, right? 348 passing yards on those 76 passes. That is 4.58 yards per pass. Like that's, you want to talk about quarterback evaluation. We've gone over this with the Mitchell Schwartz tweet from a couple weeks back, the former Kansas City Chiefs offensive tackle who broke this down in a way that I've covered on the podcast so many times because I I ran a website called thirdand10.com where I literally took quarterback evaluation and made my own twist on it and one of the big things was how do they execute on third and long because all the scouting podcasts and content I have absorbed over the last decade plus tells me that when scouts get quarterback film they go to third and six plus and see how the quarterback handles it so within the playmaking elements of the offense the third and six the or third and six or longer or you know things breaking down that's that's part of the equation of playing quarterback but it's like at most 15 percent 85% of the position, and that's probably actually skewed a little bit more these days because of how more skewed the talent on the pass rush portion of the football field is over the offensive line play we're getting in 2021 in the National Football League. So even if it's 75-25, which I don't know the the exact number, 75% of the game would be playing from the structure, playing from the pocket, playing in rhythm. And when you're averaging 4.58 yards per pass on those plays, that's why I don't get too crazy about these you know quarterbacks that make these insane highlight real plays they're fun to watch and they definitely have value but it doesn't make up what makes up a good quarterback a good quarterback can succeed under all scenarios and circumstances but when you're not hitting those in structure on time type of plays the rhythm throws and you're only averaging less than five yards per pass which is you know less than what your running back should be averaging and on carrying the football that's a tough, tough way to win football games and have success offensively. And just for comparison's sake, week number one, the Dolphins, 7.8 yards per pass attempt on 22 attempts there from Tua Tungavailoa. And he also had two pass attempts for 13 yards against the Buffalo Bills, which brings that number to 7.7 yards per pass. So more than three yards per pass before he got hurt. And we saw it on the drive right after the two-minute warning in the first half as well. And the Colts played this we talk about it, right? They played coverage. They played cloud coverage with safeties back and linebackers hanging out underneath, and they utilized the speed of Bobby Okariki and Darius Leonard. We talked about that on the Thursday preview podcast. And what you have to do to beat that is throw before the receiver 
Cross's face, or in this instance, Cross's back before he clears that window. So if you have, p- picture this for a minute in your mind. From the defense's perspective, the, the camera is behind the defense. You have your two linebackers on either hash mark in the middle of the field, maybe a, a step or two outside the hash mark. So the window is in the middle of the hash mark. When the tight end in this particular instance was Mike Gesicki, when he's aligned outside the hash mark, outside that linebacker, you have to throw that ball before he crosses that linebacker, which means the ball goes to the window and the receiver moves beyond the linebacker as the ball's in the air and it hits him in stride. And that's how you pick apart those zones. But this ball is not there until Mike is stationary and and plants himself in that zone. And that gives Darius Leonard time to undercut the pass and not just get a hand on it. He damn near picked it off as well. So you cannot be that late and have success in this league. And that's what I saw with Josh Rosen, quite frankly, throughout the course of his NFL career, with just being too late on throws. We saw it lead Alan Hearns into a big hit in the Dallas game back in 2019. He winds up getting injured on that play. And that was Rosen's big bugaboo from UCLA all the way up to the Cardinals and Dolphins and so on and so forth. And that's been what has been plaguing this offense when they've had clean pockets the last few weeks. And Brian Flores mentioned this in his Monday press conference that they missed a shot play on the opening drive. And this is after the punt muff. So it's technically the second drive extended the first drive, but you have Mike Gasicki and Devontae Parker run a scissors concept where that's, that means they cross downfield. They're going to cross paths downfield and they run it from opposite sides of the formation. So you have two nasty splits. They're both in tight to the formation by the tight ends, you know, in tight to the formation. And then they run deep post cross routes down the field and Mike is running to open space. Like we talk about clearing the defender. There's a safety who has his leverage inside directing towards the middle of the field. And Mike is running towards the corner where that guy would have to then flip his hips and get back on his horse. And you're not going to be able to cover that. That's, that's leverage throwing against leverage and anticipating throws and where the space will be on the field. So he's running to space on one side of the field, on the other side of the field. And this Colts defense is disoriented because they had 12 men on the field and they tried to run a guy off the field. He didn't get off in time. So the flag came out and they're kind of looking around like, is there a flag? Should we take this place? Like they're, they're not in their usual ready for play stances. And so Mike's running to space and Devontae's running towards a one-on-one like 50-50 ball matchup. And we saw how that went on Sunday when he got those chances. And again, 12 men on the field means a penalty flag. It means free play from the 30-yard line. Your tight end running to space. Your best contested catch guy in the NFL the last two years. Not just this Dolphins team, the NFL running to a one-on-one matchup. Free play, going to be first and five regardless of what happens unless you make a big play and it gets checked down. That's just not a winning formula. The very next snap, second down and five because they gained, I think, a yard on the play. Second and four. Snap goes through the quarterback's hands. He did a good job to recover it and throw it away. That's a waste of play. Then you come back on third down, and the Dolphins get to a four-verts look, and the throw goes to the one receiver who's bracketed on the play, which is Adam Shaheen with underneath coverage and a safety over the top with both Kasicki and Parker one-on-one. I'm just telling you what the All-22 tells me right here. So that's, that's what I'm trying to get accomplished here. And finally, let's continue this here with the quarterback and the receivers and the passing game. I'm not sure if you call this the receiver or a quarterback thing because Parker runs a curl route and it looks like Devontae wants the football on the inside shoulder. At least that's where the curl route brings him to. But the ball goes on the outside shoulder. And this is one of those catch rock throws we talked about with Tua all the time, right? Like catch the snap, rock into your motion, fire that thing out there. It erases any need for protection because the ball's out in less than a second. Like you can't get home in that amount of time. And it's 
scheduled, schemed up plays to give you success, to shorten the chains, to keep your offense on the field. And we talk about what the defense gives you. It's off coverage with a solid 10-yard cushion on a second down and six from plus territory, which means a first down puts you right into field goal range in opposition territory. And then you can start to build your drive out from there and try to matriculate further down the field and possibly score seven. If not, worst case scenario, you're in range for a field goal in a game that you're already up 3-0 on. But the ball goes wide, it goes incomplete, and these are plays the Colts defense are happy to allow you to convert and complete, but you can't do it. Then on third down, the ball short hops to Will Fuller, who's on the perimeter, and sells the takeoff and gets the cornerback to flip his hips, which means he's then open, and then he throttles that thing back down. And once again, I can't tell you if it's a communication thing, if the landmarks are off, if the quarterback or receiver is to blame, but whatever the case may be, the corner is taking off taking the cheese on the takeoff route and the receiver sets this thing down and the ball short hops him and winds up hitting the finger. And that's when he left the game with that injury. So I I don't know on those particular plays, if it's a quarterback receiver thing, but we're just not seeing it. We're just not feeling it. We're just not ripping it. We're not synced up in our timing. And that's where the frustration I think comes from this coaching staff is that there are opportunities there. And as Brian Flores has said repeatedly, both on Sunday night and Monday afternoon, It's just not getting executed. I didn't think we'd see this this year, but here we are through four games. That's the problem. One and three offensively. It's it's been a rough go so far. Long season left, but right now it's been a rough go. As far as the running backs, you know, we'll talk about this in the stats segment about time spent behind the line of scrimmage. And I noticed this on some slow developing runs often, like stretch runs or outside zone, whatever the case may be. They're going to leave that backside end unblocked. And that's not uncommon. A lot of teams do that. A lot of offensive schemes do that. But it's the extended time by Miles Gaskin in the backfield that I think allows that edge to re-enter the equation as a factor on the play. The reason you leave him unblocked is you believe the scheme or the call or just the the distance he has to cover can leave him out of the equation. That happens in football all the time. You have unblocked defenders all the time. Like zone read, you're going to leave a guy unblocked and let the quarterback figure out how to get him taken care of with the keep or the give. And we've got two players early on in this tape where that player, the backside end, who's supposed to be unaccounted for, closes down and makes the tackle. So it's tough. It's tough sledding. And then on the offensive line, there was a couple of instances for every player that I just note down. There was a couple of reps where Grover Stewart got the best of Jesse Davis. Liam Eikenberg got walked back on a run play early in the game, and he had a hard time protecting the outside post on some pass rush moves. I like the way he shortens the distance on wide nine looks where the defensive ends out wide. Like he goes out and gets them and gets himself in position for that block. But there are just some instances where he can't quite get to the outside post. Like a third and seven, there's a sack to start the second quarter. It's the one that knocks the Dolphins out of field goal range early on. The Colts show pressure and back out. And Greg Mance winds up on nobody in the middle. And Malcolm Brown fills the mugged up linebacker who's Bobby Okariki in the A-gap. And so Mance is blocking nobody. And this, of course, leaves a one-on-one on the edge where the running back can't get out there to help chip and protect the quarterback outside. So Eichenberg gets isolated on this one and cannot protect the outside post. And they get the sack on Jacoby Brissett. On the same play, Brissett has Waddle wide open in the second window on a slant beyond the sticks but he just doesn't have time to get it to him. So you see these issues that are, Flores makes makes the comment, we take turns making mistakes. And that's what you saw on this play, on multiple plays. Offensive line protection issues, quarterback issues, receiver. It's everybody. It's across the board. It's, it's not good. And then we talk about Austin Jackson. It's the same problem I've seen with him throughout the course of the season. The punch. Dead feet. You can't have your feet go dead. The feet stop. 
He lunges into the strike, and then it's basically over because he gets that landmark and fires that punch from a stationary position. And then when a guy can go side to side on him with a little bit of lateral agility, just a little bit of oil on those hips, like as much oil as I like on my Jersey Mike sub is enough to get him off balance. It's a tough recovery because you're out over your skis. And if you don't square up that punch, and right now the batting average is like Mendoza line level on those punches, you're going to be chasing the, the pass pressure into the backfield. We've seen it way too many times. And then finally, Greg Mance had the bad snap on that first down, but I, I thought it was really catchable, but it went through the quarterback's hands. So, you know, he we'll talk about his numbers here in the pass protection portion of the numbers, but I thought that against the run, he started a lot of knockback in this game, and that was a problem up front as well. So offensive line, you know, not great either. Moving on to the receivers, Jalen Waddle, oh man, <laughs> the second catch on the speed out to win the edge when they're, the defensive back's foot is like almost on the hash marks on the sideline. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have the sideline, a little bit of green grass before the hash mark. So the refs can determine when feet are out of bounds and stuff like that. Then you have like a foot long hash mark. So we're talking about like a yard of distance here. The cornerback's foot is damn near planted on the hash mark and he still wins the edge and doesn't get pushed out of bounds. It's 18 yards in that play. Then he uncovered on a crossing route. We've talked about at length. I mean, look at the first play here. So he blows by a defensive back for an extra 14 yards when he basically has like, you know, three feet to work with between the man and the sideline. Does it no problem. Gets extra 14 yards. He would have been in a very similar spot on the very next play if he has the catch downfield with one move to make. But this time, if he makes that guy miss and there's way more space to operate with this time, he's probably gone for 69 yards. Nice. And a touchdown. Just a few plays later, he catches a pass and makes the defender fall down on his first step that he takes after he catches the football. And that was it for his production for the day. Like, it's ah, it's frustrating, but he looks so good to me and continues to make plays. We're going to come back to Jalen Waddle here in just one second. I want to swing it over to the defensive notes here with regards to the Dolphins' All-22. Tackling in general has been poor this year. Another one of these traits that you just didn't see with Brian Flores' teams in the past, but this year it's been the case, and he addressed this. He said the emphasis has been the same. It's not going to change for me. We still emphasize the attention to detail, the small things, cleaning up these mistakes, the takes-no-talent things, and it's just not happening right now, he says, and it's true on the tape. He's not going to lie to you about it, so it's, it's there for you to see. And there are a lot of instances, and this is where I think maybe Raekwon Davis has missed a little bit, where a lot of guys are getting double teams, and they're choosing who they get their single-man blocks on. And I think Raekwon Davis could help kind of factor against that because right now, John Jenkins, he's playing well, but 47 snaps in this game, I think you want to reduce that number significantly when Raekwon Davis comes back just because Raekwon showed you what he can do last year. And that's going to make the double team decision much tougher on the opposing offensive line. But right now, John Jenkins is catching a lot of those single teams and Wilkins and Sealer and Butler are catching a lot of the double teams. I put down in my notes here that Wilkins is an absolute beast because when they single blocked him, he almost always made the play. You see the, we'll see the advanced stats here in just one second. But on the very first play, after the Pilardi and Hollins punt combination to down that ball at the one-yard line, he's off the snap before anybody else, offense over defenses, crosses face of the guard and shuts down Jonathan Taylor for a one-yard run. He made plays like that all throughout the course of the game. He's made plays like that all throughout the course of the season. He's a very good player. Manuel Ogbaugh continues to be a monster. We talked about it on the Sunday recap podcast. He ruined the entire Colts' first drive with a run stop, a pressure taking the offensive tackle back into Wentz's lap. Then he flips sides and goes to the right tackle and gets the sack. So he just continues to impress me, both against the run and as a pass rusher. And then Jalen Phillips, I thought, had his best game as a pro by far. 
Nice work early in this game on a zone read to condense inside and get to the back for a, a shutting down that run. Don't worry about the quarterback on the bummed ankle trying to get outside on you. That's not, not your responsibility or not your concern. Go ahead and make that play. And he did. But later, the Colts, I thought, had a good play call to kind of get him on that with a jet sweep, giving the ball to, I want to say it was Michael Pittman, but I forget. But they got outside of him on that particular look. But again, this was the best game he had for my money. I felt like his pass rush was really wearing guys down up front for that Colts offensive line, but also the physicality he plays with. And you saw those two things kind of work in unison at the U, right? Like a a good game plan to understand this is how they're defending me. This is how I want to go ahead and counter and, and utilize my arsenal of pass rush moves to continue to get more pressures late in the game. And eventually they made big plays there with Phillips to close out games for the U. And we saw that here, obviously he didn't close the game out, but he made more plays as the game went along. And that and his length and power seem to really give guys fits for the Colts offensive line. In general, I'm just kind of following my notes here, just too many instances in the running game of guys getting caught on blocks in the second level, whether it was Baker, Aguavin, or Elandon Roberts, whatever the case may be, just too many run fits blown, like the long Jonathan Taylor touchdown run. That's a massive, massive gap. Someone didn't hit their fit there. And then just getting caught on blocks in the second level. Look, it's the same deal on offense. You win plenty of plays, but then you take turns making mistakes that ultimately does you in as far as the overall production. And then your 65% of plays you won goes out the window because the other 35% was big plays. And we know that's how the National Football League typically dictates winners and losers. I also continue to be impressed with Nick Needham. And honestly, this is just kind of across the board for Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Nick Needham. They have all three been very good all season long for my money, week in and week out. But in this game, Needham got a pass breakup, fighting over the top of a rub route, which has caused this Dolphins defense so many issues this year. He gets over the top of a rub route on a drag route and breaks that thing up. He also had a very nice tackle in space in the first half as well. And just to finish up these notes here, I didn't have much else. I mean, Eric Rowe, he talked about being frustrated from having chances to make plays on Mo Alley Cox that he didn't make in one-on-one situations, said that playing the football and the Dolphins feel like they've been beat a few times where they're in good position but just can't get their hands on the ball. And he addressed that in his postgame presser on Sunday, saying that's why he was frustrated after that second Mo Alley Cox touchdown. But just a few of the notes here from the three takeaways piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, written by yours truly. Wanted to go ahead and kind of talk about these through 33 games under Brian Flores after that first game this year, 32 games from the two seasons, then opening day, the Dolphins racked up outright wins as underdogs at a ridiculous pace. Like nobody else was doing it like that. They were winning games in which they were not expected to win consistently. And that was 2019 and 2020. And among many of the things, I think perhaps chief among them, and the reason for those quote unquote surprise wins was the ability to win in the fine margins, penalties, limiting mistakes, and capitalizing on the mistakes of the opponent. And the last three weeks, the opposite of that has been true. Because though Miami returned to a more disciplined game in this one with only five penalties for 32 yards, it's a pretty low number. It's right about where the Dolphins have been the last couple of years. A string of these errors continuously places Miami right behind the proverbial eight ball. And while the Dolphins have shown a little bit of heart and fight to claw back into those games late, Those blunders early on proved too much to overcome. Brian Flores said it on Sunday. We're out there taking turns, making mistakes in all three phases. It's not enough. It's not good enough. Blake Ferguson recovers a muff punt at the plus 27-yard line four minutes into the game. The ensuing possession covers seven yards, five of those coming via the penalty, and of course that was the 
the 12 men penalty where they had, could have had a chance at a free play down the field. And that concludes with a 38-yard Jason Sanders field goal. Like, you've got to convert that drive into seven points. That's how this league works. The next possession, Miami penetrates Colts territory once again down to the 31-yard line. We take a sack on third and seven, knocks Miami out of field goal range. On a second quarter punt, Brian Scarlett jumps off sides, and the Colts seize their second chance opportunity just four plays later with a Jonathan Taylor touchdown scamper from zero points to seven points on that drive. Trailing 14-3, Miami gets a much-needed stop, but gives the ball right back on a Jakeem Grant muff punt, which results in three more Colts points. That's 10 free points for the Colts in this instance. Finally, trailing by 10, there you go, with seven minutes to play, Emmanuel Ogba's second third-down sack of the game is erased by a face mask penalty, which I don't think he grabbed the face mask, but he got flagged for it by Jalen Phillips, which turns a field goal attempt into an eventual touchdown and an insurmountable 17-point lead late in that game. So, that's 10 plus 4, 14 points that you basically handed over there on mistakes. And there are five instances right there with a little bit better discipline and execution that could have generated a considerable swing on the results of the game. So many instances where Miami could have taken control in this game, and it just didn't happen because of the multiple mistakes over and over again. Number two on my takeaways, looking around the NFL and college football landscape, like if you're not planning to score 30 points a game that's that's got to be where you you shoot for at least 27 I mean in an era where the points scored records are being rewritten each season to the entire operation hasn't been good enough at this stage but the pressure constantly falls on the shoulders of a defense that's facing these short fields and getting minimal rest the average opponent top time of possession right now for Miami 35 minutes 26 seconds so the offense has 10 minutes less to work with the ball than what the opposition does and you know, last Wednesday, we detailed the common theme across Miami's most successful possessions on the season have been when they're up against the clock, right? Well, Sunday, Miami's four longest plays occurred once again in the fourth quarter after falling behind by two scores. And the Dolphins could certainly benefit from splash plays early on in games. And Coach Flores said this. Early on, there was definitely some shot plays there that ended up getting checked down, Flores said just like the wobble play we discussed earlier in this game. And then the third takeaway was that playmakers showed some signs of life. And I talked about this where the offense did get things cranking. It's been filtered through the pass catchers like Devontae Parker, who pulled down four for 77 and three for 70 of those were in the fourth quarter. The same was true for Mike Kosicki, who caught 57 yards on five catches, 49 and four of those came in the fourth quarter. But the script was reversed for Jalen Waddle, who caught three passes for 33 yards, all of those in the first quarter. And on those three receptions, he slips two tackles and picks up 21 yards after the catch. He accounted for 21 of the 66 yards after catch for Miami in this game. I think maximizing the skill sets of these three guys go a long way to turning things around for this Dolphins offense. I also wanted to ask Coach about Jalen Waddle's production by quarter because I broke this thing down, went through the plays and, and accounted all this. Jalen Waddle, first quarter this season in four games. So all of these are one full game, right? First quarter, four of them. Nine catches, 81 yards. Second quarter, four of those quarters. Seven catches for 73 yards. So in the first half, 16 catches, 154 yards for Jalen Waddell. In the third quarter, five for 23. It's too low. That's a little over, what is that, five yards a game? No, I don't know, something like that. Fourth quarter, three catches, 22 yards. All of those were against Las Vegas, and then OT he had one for three. So in the second half in OT, nine for 48. So I asked Coach, is... They're an emphasis to get the ball to Waddle early in games, and if so, how is the why has it been a challenge to find targets for him as the game goes along? And he just says indicative of the entire team right now. Had some fast starts, have not been able to sustain it. 
He said that's something that they talked about for the last three weeks and will continue to talk about how you have to sustain drives, get off the field better, and those stats kind of speak to that. So speaking of stats, let's go ahead and get to these here real quick, and we'll get out of here for this Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review if you have not done so already. Pro football focus, quarterback numbers, when blitzed, two for three, 28 yards, and the Colts played almost exclusive coverage, and yet under pressure, Dolphins quarterbacks, or Jacoby Brissett rather, 14 of 35 dropbacks, and he completed six of those nine passes for an average of 9.7 yards per pass. And again, we heard Flores talk about not taking shots or taking advantage of some of the balls downfield. When kept clean, 14 for 21, 112 yards, just 5.3 yards per pass. We talked about being 348 passing yards on 76 attempts, just 4.58 yards per pass over the last three weeks on clean pockets. Got to do a lot better than that, more than double that. As far as running backs, no 10-plus yard runs. Malcolm Brown averaged 2.75 yards after initial contact to lead the team, but he did that found this fascinating, without any broken tackle. So he falls forward on those tackles, I suppose. And Pro Football Focus did not credit any Miami runners with any forced missed tackles. The only two rushing first downs came via Jacoby Brissett. At receiver, 66 yak yards, 21 of those belonged to Jalen Waddell. His average depth of target was just 4.3. But again, that number is so greatly skewed by the fact that we're not trying him deep on these routes where he's open or even in coverage and just throw the ball to him because he's a hell of a player. Devontae Parker had 2.41 yards per route run. Mike Kosicki had 2.28 yards per route run. Good days from the two trees out there in Miami's passing game. Offensive line numbers, pressures, six for Austin Jackson, two apiece for Jesse Davis and Robert Hunt and Liam Eikenberg. Both of Eikenberg's were sacks, and Greg Mance had zero pressures allowed. Malcolm Brown had just one hurry on 14 pass-blocking snaps. Defensively, pressures. Jalen Phillips had six to lead the team. Good day for him. Christian Wilkins had four. Good day for him. Manuel Ogba, Zach Sealer, and Sam Egwavon had two pressures apiece. And then Brandon Jones, Jerome Baker, Adam Butler, and John Jenkins had one apiece. On run stops, Jank had five. Wilkins and Ogba had four apiece. Gink and Xavier Howard had three apiece. And then Needham, Egwavon, Roberts, and Rowe all had two apiece. Miami had 33 run stops on 34 rundowns. Now, obviously... Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage, and obviously some of those are going to be two guys making the run stop on a play, right? So you're not going to have it on every single play, but I think it points to the fact that you are, in fact, winning a majority of your defensive snaps, but those big chunk plays are very much so distorting the average. I mean, obviously they count against against you, like that's how it works, but it shows you the path to good run defense. It's just a handful of plays from being made a handful of plays away from being made for this defense to really turn things in the other direction for them. Some next-gen stats. We've been tracking the time to throw splits. Tua obviously hasn't changed at 2.59 seconds. That's the, that's the seventh quickest ball-out rate in the NFL. For Brissett, 2.76 seconds. That's 19th. And 14 quarterbacks have negative marks in expected completion percentage or percentage over-expected. Both are on Miami's roster, so not good there. EPA-wise, Brissett is 15.0. That's 25th in the National Football League. For comparison's sake, if you're new to this stat, expected probability added for for win probability. Mahomes is top at 36.8. Murray is next at 30.9. Another drop-off after that down to 27.4. Matt Stafford and Brissett checks in at 15. And Tua doesn't qualify as the cutoff is 20 action plays per game. He obviously has not played that much to qualify. Time behind the line of scrimmage for running backs. Miles Gaskin has the second most time behind the LOS in the NFL at 3.04 seconds per play. Malcolm Brown, 2.72 seconds per play behind the line of scrimmage. That's 31st most. So both pass protection numbers and getting to the line quicker might be reasons why the snap counts were what they were. We'll get to that here in just one second. Rushing yards over expected. Gaskin, negative one. And Malcolm Brown, zero. Now that number 
sounds bad and it's not ideal still, but there's actually a good chunk of players and good players in the negative category. For instance, Green Bay's Aaron Jones is at the bottom of the league with negative 62. Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, deep negative also. Negative 45 and negative 38 for those guys, just for context sake. Receivers, Yak over expected Yak. Waddle, 4.8. The next best is Parker at 3.3. Separation numbers, Waddle, 4.4 yards of average separation. That's fifth best in the National Football League. Mike Kosicki, 2.6. Devontae Parker, 1.8 yards average separation. That's third from bottom in the National Football League. Snap counts. The entire offensive line, Jacoby Brissett, went wire to wire for 52 snaps. We saw lots of 12 and 13 personnel, and I believe that's a function of having a new quarterback or a different quarterback than Tunga Bailoa out there to go heavy, to go bigger, to try to get more guys in for pass protection. Mike Gusecki played 36 snaps. That's 69% of the workload. Smythe played 21 snaps. That's 40%. Shaheen played 20. And Seathan Carter had one snap. Lots of tight end snaps for this Dolphins offense. At receiver, Parker played 47. That's 90% of the workload. Waddle played 41. And that's why you got to get more than 52 snaps in the game. you got to get those numbers up for these guys to give them more chances to make plays. Albert Wilson played 28 snaps. That was 48%. Will Fuller left after 14 snaps. And then Mac Hollins played two, and Jakeem Grant played one snap. At running back, Malcolm Brown had 35 snaps. That was 67% of the workload. Miles Gaskin, just 12, per, 12 reps on the day. And Savon Ahmed, just five snaps in this game. So pass protection has been a big issue at that spot. Malcolm Brown steps in, does a good job in that regard. Defensively, we talked about this pregame. The Colts funnel a lot of their offense through their backs and tight ends. So Miami naturally had a lot of linebacker snaps and fewer defensive back snaps than the last two weeks against Buffalo and Las Vegas, akin to the Patriots game week one for this one. So interior defensive line, John Jenkins, 49 snaps. That was 69%. Christian Wilkins, 46 snaps. Zach Sealer, 39 snaps. Adam Butler, 33. All those guys played significant workloads in this game. Off the edge, Van Ginkle, 44 snaps. That's 62%. Emmanuel Ogba, 37 snaps. Jalen Phillips, 29. Brennan Scarlett, 28 snaps with Jerome Baker. Off-ball linebacker playing every snap again, all 71. Roberts, 50. Egwavon, 19 snaps. So Miami's strength in this defense is the secondary, right? So the best way to get that secondary off the field is to go more heavy personnel. We saw the Colts do that. At cornerback, Xavier Howard played 71 snaps. That's all of them. Nick Needham played uh, 71. 51 snaps, rather. Justin Coleman played 37. Byron Jones played 25. That's 35% of the snaps. And we saw him all second half long running up and down the sideline on the exercise bike. He wanted to get back out there so badly. Love his professionalism out of Byron Jones. At safety, McCourty played 70. Rowe played 61. That's 86% of the workload. Then the drop off to the young guys. Javon Holland, 19 snaps. And Brandon Jones, just two snaps a week after having two sacks in that game. So, here we are, a quarter of the way into the season. I want to go ahead and finish up here with these scanning the Soch. And honestly, not entirely sure if this is something being talked about widespread on the old social, on the old Twitter. But I saw some flyby mentions of it, and we kind of co- covered this in the rewatch. But I just wanted to touch on a philosophical approach in the game of football because there are a lot of routes to victory in this game, right? Nobody gets their dubs in the same form or fashion. Well, some do, but there are lots of paths to victory. And even in the Sunday night game, the highly anticipated return of Brady to Foxborough. You saw the Patriots execute a game plan that we saw Miami have a lot of success with last season. Rookie quarterback, put him in position to manage the game. Only dialed up one shot of 20-plus yards down the field of air yards on a throw, and that resulted in a pick. They piled up completions, controlled the clock, made field goals, and played good defense, good complementary situational football. And that formula makes sense for a New England team, right? One of the best offensive lines in football. They have the improved weaponry on the outside at the skill positions, but still obviously not, you know, like a 
Dak and, and Cowboys attack or Josh Allen and Buffalo attack yet. Uh, and they could always get there, but right now they are this team that has this blueprint to success. And that blueprint got off course with just a couple of mistakes. The interception, four sacks, eight penalties for 77 yards. And even though you had a great defensive game, you still can't find the winner's circle. What does this have to do with Miami? Well, you heard Flores talk about it in his postgame presser. They had some shot plays they wanted to get to. They didn't get to some of them, and the Colts took some of the others away. You have to be sharp in all those other areas to win football games. Penalties, better this week, but it hasn't been nearly as good as last year. Special teams, kickoff out of bounds, muffed punt, offsides on a punt formation on fourth and three. Two of those are obviously killers, and then another 15-yard mistake from Jason Sanders on the kickoff. Drop passes, missed layups, checkdowns, taking what the defense gives you. Playing with QB2 amplifies the need to be sharp, and that's just not what this Dolphins offense or what this Dolphins team has been the last three weeks. <sighs> Let's go ahead and call it a day right there. What do you guys say? Caroline, daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the fish tank. Uh, they have Jason Jackson coming up this week with Seth and OJ. You don't want to miss that. YouTube.com, the Miami Dolphins channel for media availabilities and some other content like Dolphins Today, other video content for you there. Also, MiamiDolphins.com for the written pieces, some video and photo content as well as well as the podcast. All your stuff on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.